This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. the portal i'm amber ray and i'm andrew mckay and welcome back to another film friday episode mm-hmm. where today uh we're looking at one that's uh i would say is slightly darker than the first two that we've covered although <laughs> along the same trend yes very dark yeah they're all dark but this one in particular has another nuance to it i would say because you do get this sort of horrific supernatural element but you also see a lot of like what was, to me, very genuine-looking um, scenes of grieving, a family in grief, too. Yeah, so that can be disturbing on yeah, a different level. Yeah, psychological disturbance like, totally. from that level, too. Mm-hmm. So this, so we're covering uh, the film Hereditary yes. today. Mm-hmm. And this was suggested by a handful of people. A yeah. whole bunch of people recommended Actually, this one. And, and I out. hadn't heard of it. Had you actually heard of it before it was suggested? No. Which is weird because, I mean, like we're both fans of Toni Collette. She's I love a great Tony. actress and we've yeah. seen her in all kinds of stuff. But, um, yeah, so this was recommended by a bunch of people and, uh, for good reason. (laughs) And you know what's funny? Like, maybe we hadn't really heard of it because it is, like, it was just from the summer. Yeah. 2018 release. And I don't know how widely, like, you know, like, how wide the actual campaigns went. Like, I don't even remember seeing, like, we don't really watch that much television anyway, but I don't remember seeing very many, um... Like, you know, like, like ads for it. Yeah, no, and like, we don't really go to the movies that much either, but we didn't see trailers for it when I remembered going back. Like, we were there relatively recently, but yeah, yeah, a little bit less mainstream, but those are usually the best ones, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was actually, it was so it was directed by Ari Aster. To be honest, I didn't really do any digging. His name wasn't familiar to me, but if he has any other really sweet films out there that we haven't heard of, <laughs> again, get us, guys. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Stuff. This is all about you, what you guys choose, so we're just getting into the nitty-gritty of the, the movie. Definitely. And it was actually, interestingly, um, Tony Collette was also an executive producer on this film, too. Nice. Yeah. So, let's do just a quick... I think we should start off with a plot overview. Sure, and summary. once again, obviously, for people who listen to the first two, like spoilers... Spoilers abound. Yeah, lots of spoilers. Mm. And so this one's even the most recent of the three, so go, if you ha- if you can handle it, <laughs> go watch it before you listen uh, to this review. Definitely. Before we get into any of this, as far as the summary, just want to say, like, we've already said it, <laughs> it's really... It's disturbing on a different level, and it's actually kind of hilarious because when we rented it, it was off of just our Shaw on Demand or Telus on Demand, yeah. And uh, it had a suggested rating of fourteen A. Yeah, and I was like, no, no. And that threw me off. I was <laughs> like, oh, be. well, what the heck? We can handle this, sure. no problem. Yeah. But no, there's some very graphic images along with the um, deep-seated psychological disturbing scenes. Definitely. So, uh, summary here. So basically, this film follows a family after the recent loss of their matriarch. Um, This was a woman of about um, 70... Sorry, 87 years old. Yeah. And the film starts off with basically her obituary. It would have been in the paper. And it's very telling. I really like the way they started with that because it's so ordinary. Yeah. And it's exactly what you would say about someone really. Like, you know, like a lot of people don't like to get into the whole life story of their lost one. And, um, but it just shows you, right? Like right away, like what's never said. Right. You're you're just given the generic stuff. Exactly. So basically, yeah, this film follows the family um, after this loss. Uh, Basically, she's... (laughs) Outlived by her daughter, granddaughter, a grandson, and also a son-in-law. Yeah. The family kind of starts to unravel the mysteries of their past a little bit, or it kind of just comes on full force. <laughs> they don't even really try. It's just kind of coming at them. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and it becomes very clear that each is fighting demons beyond their capabilities or even awareness at some points, it yeah. kind of seems. Yeah. There's a lot of denial going on, I think. There's definitely a lot of that in this yes, movie, <laughs> for there sure. There is. And there's a lot of stuff that you see... But you're almost like seeing it through what seems like a store display window. Right. Which mm-hmm. is uh, ties into a prominent aspect of the film that we will totally. mention in a minute, obviously. Exactly. So um, the opening sequence, again, like after we see that initial um, obituary, 
I thought was really effective as far as um, anchoring the film. Um, so the opening sequence, you basically get the um, backyard and that treehouse depicted through a first story window. Right. And basically, this is her workshop, Tony Collette's character Annie's workshop. She is a a designer of these, like, model miniatures, like, scenes. And it's yeah. never really explained well, what it, that is exactly. It's not like, explained, but she gets these these phone calls throughout the movie, yes. clearly from her, like, client or whatever. Projects and it almost sounds and, like she's doing it for, like, a museum. Like, she's recreating miniatures of, you know, historic buildings or something or whatever. I could totally see, like, that type of thing. It's, like, commissioned for, you know, a house design and you need a miniature yeah. model or you need... Something for, yeah, museum or whatever. The only ways I've ever seen that type of miniaturism, like, employed is in archaeology. Like, or sorry, not archaeology. Um, <laughs> <laughs> architectury. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. Like, That's exactly what I'm exactly. saying. Exactly. Yeah, so you get or, a mini model. And, obviously, yeah. if you're building dollhouses. There you go. So that's another kind of, like, for me, the dollhouse is even creepier than this whole uh, model. Yeah, but she isn't limited to buildings, right? Because she ends up depicting a very important scene of the movie, which we'll get to in just a second. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so essentially, yeah, you get this, um, the camera panning away from this window and it slowly transitions into a very close up shot of a miniaturized version of the actual home yeah. that the family inhabits. Slowly. It's very in. slow, very drawn out. And then eventually the, it kind of zooms into the second story bedroom and the bedroom itself kind of actually turns into the bedroom. So that's where we kind of get these, um, it, like I said, it anchors this sort of theme of like, I don't even know how best to put it into words. It's like kind of like this theme of like um, a a display or a charade of sorts or like a play. Sure. It's like a play where you're not really seeing all of it. You're just seeing the parts that they want you to see. Right. Almost. Definitely. Like how would you... I think the other way... Yeah, no, that's exactly... Like because you made the comment early on that you could tell... Like the characters are all very distant, right? Like even from the very beginning, like the opening scene Mm -hmm. is the funeral and you have um, Annie, the mother, who's who's her mother has passed away, mm-hmm. and she's standing up there, basically like, you know, she she makes that comment like, "I'm so heartened to see like all these strangers show up at the funeral or whatever," which was like so bizarre. Faces. And mm-hmm. there's all these sort of like subtly really weird, like not quite right moments right from the get go in in that scene. Yet she's just kind of like going through the motions of like very typically. I don't even know. Even it's, like, before that, right? Like when you get the transition into the actual bedroom of the eldest son. Yeah. The only son, but the eldest of the two. And you see this very casual encounter between the father waking him up and him getting ready for this funeral that they're all going to. And then you get, yeah, exactly, a very casual, distant delivery of the eulogy. Um, She basically almost sounds like she's kind of just, like, trying to list off a bunch of stuff. Like, it's like when you're... (laughs) put on the spot in like in the classroom or something and you're just like really bored not really bored but you just don't really care enough to really like she didn't put her heart into that at all right like so that to me speaks to the type of relationship she had just wanted to didn't get it, have get it over her. with is kind of like how it came across oh exactly and I, even what you just said right with like how she makes that comment where she says it's very heartening to find all these unfamiliar faces here right. to remember my mother right um implying that her mother was horrible pretty much, right? Like, oh, I'm surprised to see, like, it's oh, hard yeah. to see that there's anyone here at all. True. Because, like, but then at the same time, it's almost like she looks around the room and feels more, a greater distance or a greater sense of uncomfortability because of the fact that she can't reach out to any of these people. She doesn't know who they are. They right. don't know her, even though she has been on and off contact with her mother, which we kind of get into uh, in later scenes. Yeah. But it's very... Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was very interesting. And then you get the scene where they're all approaching the body, right, to say their final goodbyes. And Charlie, who is the youngest, who's about 13 years old, and she's a very disturbing-looking girl. She's disturbed in general. Disturbed and disturbing to look at, which I think was very intentional oh, as well. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, you're just, like, instantly, like, you're not normal. No. Well, looking. the makeup is done very effectively. Very effectively. And the lighting. That, yeah. The lighting, for sure. Um, yeah. Amplifies that to the extreme, almost. Yeah. But the way that this little girl looks, there's this one part of that scene where she goes up to look at her dead mother. Grandmother. Or grandmother, sorry. <laughs> her mother, though, honestly. In a because way. she was almost handed to her at birth. Yeah. Um... Out of guilt on Annie's part, seemingly, but maybe not. I don't know. Bizarre. I don't know. Weird. But um, she looks over and sees this very creepy-looking man. 
Yeah. And his presence is never explained in that scene. No. It's almost as if, like, you might think to yourself, like, oh, he's just part of the funeral service. He's part of the funeral home. Like, you know, he's just... And the camera angle for that was not, not like, a unique angle, but it's, like, Charlie leaning over the casket, and then she kind of, like, turns around, looks over her shoulder as if she feels like she's being watched, which, Mm -hmm. of course, she is, because it's a funeral, and she's at the front of the room. But she turns around, and then it's just, like, this, this, like, sinister Pennywise-esque grin on this on this just unnamed random dude. Mm-hmm. And she does make the observation of that necklace that her grandmother is wearing, carrying right. with her to the grave. Yeah. Freaky stuff. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, of course, so the, so the so the funeral scene is the opening scene, and then they kind of make their way back, and Annie, the mother, opens up the box of her, of her mom's stuff, of the grandmother's stuff. Yes. And that's kind of the first... That's that first little uh, snippet you get from Annie where she's like, this is... Things are... The, her mother's death and the vibes she was getting at that funeral were weird and like things yeah. are not quite right for some yeah. some reason totally and she even says it like very like bluntly almost when they first walk in the door and you always get that scene from that same angle there's the one open wall right it's it's the same you get with sitcoms with plays right where there's the one open face that the audience gets to view from and that's what we get all the time right so we get that classic yeah so we get that scene and um yeah and essentially she just says it right she's like this is weird like should i feel more sad like should i like she doesn't know and then you're just like you kind of shrug it off you're like it's the grieving process like everyone kind of goes through it differently right and the husband makes that comment too Mm -hmm. he's like you should feel however you should feel and whatever totally yeah but it doesn't really (laughs) not really not in the way it comes later on when she is grieving yet again so, okay. And then also what I thought was really interesting is Peter, too, the, the oldest son. Yeah. How he's basically, like, super nonchalant either. Everyone's nonchalant. It's almost as if this was, like, a big, like, thing hanging over them, and now it's kind of not there anymore. So it's yeah. kind of just an absence that... And you're left to guess because you don't light. really know the, what the circumstances were with the grandmother before her passing. Mm-hmm. You're just made to... You're given the impression that it was strange and that... Especially with chart, like that Charlie was the only one with a real kind of connection. sort of a connection. Um, before yeah. we even she's get, the only one disturbed by the whole thing. She's the only one disturbed by the whole thing, and like the the scene where uh, the, one of the early scenes where Annie comes into Charlie's bedroom to kind of talk to her about what had happened, and she's like, you know, Charlie's saying how she's like, I miss Grandma or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, does she make, say that though? Something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, who's gonna? T-? She's asking who's gonna take care of me. Yeah. Right. Um, almost as if she was told that, like, you know, her grand, like her grandmother was the only one who could look after her. What else was mm-hmm. she told about that? Like, why does she weird? It's like she fears her mother almost. You know, what she's I mean? distant from her. Too. Very distant. And the mother, that's a really telling scene, right? That bedtime scene where Charlie turns away from her yeah, physically and emotionally. She doesn't open up to her at all. She basically asks her a very blunt question, that thing, right? And she's, and then she even follows it up by saying, like, but when you die, you know what I mean? Like, which yeah. people could take that as, like, a normal child, like, question a child would ask after a death, right? Where it's like, oh, like, I didn't realize people could die, so therefore you might just end up dying on me. So kind of asking those questions now. Yeah. But it doesn't really come across that way. No. Like, she doesn't really seem... Like I said, right, everything about her is abnormal. It's just kind of off and freaky, man. <laughs> like, freaky. I really love the way that child acted that role. She did a smoking job. I yeah. honestly don't know the actor's name off the top of my head. But... Um, it was Millie, oh, Millie right. Pullman or something. Or right. Something like Millie, that. Millie, yeah, totally. Yeah. What a name. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect name but that's interesting right because annie is like reaching like you see her in that scene she reaches over and she's like trying to like almost like have some sort of bonding moment but it's really forced and really awkward and she even makes a comment she's like says like you never cried even at birth basically at birth she handed her to her grandmother so who knows what kind of weird influences were in that room at that time right you never know yeah um but yeah I just thought that was really weird. It, it's it's evident right off the bat that they have a very distant relationship. Everyone's relationship with everyone is really distant. And I think that's one of the major themes of this movie is kind of like this dissolution of the family unit and uh, the house as 
the site of that dissolution. Mm -hmm. It's no longer a site of connectivity, of getting together, of sharing things, of bonding. Right. It's all the opposite. And you're left with a sense of unease because of that. And also because you don't know what it was like before the grandmother passed away, why these people are so distant, right? Like you Mm -hmm. don't know why really. It's mm-hmm. like, they're not just weird because, because the daughter's weird or, you know, the son's a stoner and kind of distant because he's mm. just a teenage boy, which is very typical or whatever. Right. It's more than that. It does seem like more than that, even though he is very like stereotypical and that sort of like, yeah, he's just a pot smoking, whatever. Yeah, kind of like doesn't really care about his grandma dying. She's like, whatever. It's just like some old lady or something. Well, there was that scene with the dad too, where he comes into the room and he's like, you okay? Like, yeah. You want to talk about this? And he's like, you know, he, he's, he's nothing he's, to say. He's like, I'm fine. Because the implication, the, they imply that he hated his grandmother. Kind of. Right. Yeah. They're like, I'm okay with this because she was horrible. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really the vibe that I got from that scene. Yeah. And then of course we find out, should I, should I mention the part about the, when Annie goes to the, the meeting? The grief anonymous meeting. Yes, that's like that's kind of where I was leading to too. Okay, so shortly after all this stuff, um, Annie goes to yeah these this grief anonymous meeting, and she's kind of got the gnarliest story in the group or whatever, right? And she's yeah. sitting there, and that's where we get a that's the only time in the movie we get that bit of the background, right? Mm-hmm. And you never trust it though because it's all from Annie's perspective. You never get it from anyone else's, which is like I hate that in movies because I always just I'm like. Ah, there's probably another side to the story. And you don't get the grandmother. Like there no. wasn't even like the two minute opening scene before her death or some weird yeah. thing where they like show something. Or even that's... flashbacks, sure. which they will do yeah. often. Yeah. And, yeah, which they didn't, which is kind of a good thing. I mean, that's maybe a little cliche for the style Actually, yeah. of film. So it's fresh. It's kind of cool how they didn't do that. But anyway, so she's sitting in this meeting and she makes the comment about how, you know, death had been following her for a long time. So like her brother committed suicide in her mother's room, hung himself and claimed mm-hmm. that the mother had been like implanting spirits demons. and demons mm-hmm. in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, <laughs> she explains it as schizophrenia. Right. And then also there was another tragedy with her father. I can't remember what happened there exactly, but there's something that she mentioned as well. And she's just like, literally she just starts talking. This happens a couple times in the movie where Annie starts talking and then it just turns into like this huge like waterfall of just like emotional release to a certain extent but just like not I wouldn't call it word garbage because it all makes sense and it's all yeah. highly illuminating yeah. like she does it at the dinner table too later on yeah but um yeah very interesting where you get those emotional outbursts and then the quick withdrawal kind of back into her everyone has their shells seemingly and no one really likes to come out of them yeah but then you do get those sort of uh moments of clarity or whatever but that was so yeah so she basically uh, you called it she's got like the gnarliest story ever and so that again it almost seems as if a lot of these things might be replaying like it's it, hereditary in the sense that it's almost like these cycles these loops that keep recurring well, there you go the title comes back into play a few in a few different ways potentially totally. in this movie exactly because even the relationship like we were just commenting on between annie and charlie I feel like a very similar relationship could have taken place between Annie and her mother. Absolutely. Where she was, like, completely distant. Her mother didn't really... Yeah, like, it was just this strange thing where her mother kind of ignored her in favor of her brother for interesting reasons that kind of come to light by the end of the film. Yeah. So things pretty much get... Okay, here's here's the thing with this movie. There's There's the scene that really just it goes at 90 degree angle like it's like all of a sudden you're watching and then it's like slap in the face like did not see that coming so there therefore you know go watch the movie before you listen to this um Mm -hmm. so there's the scene where clearly annie is like wanting some space or whatever and she's fed up with the fact that her like daughter is a weirdo in a lot of ways and she's like go to the party because her son asked to borrow the car Mm -hmm. peter's like can i borrow the car whatever right basically forces her daughter to go to this party. She she knows full well that it's not a school event that, yeah. that Peter says, like, oh, it's a school barbecue. Why the hell would he go to it's it? It's like, no, it isn't, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, any parent Or the only that. reason I could think of is that she's like, okay, if Charlie goes with him, then he won't do anything stupid. That was the I only guess. reason. But very bad judgment on Poor so many judgment. levels. And of course, we're teed up from earlier scenes at the funeral where it's like she takes a bite of a chocolate bar and they're like, oh, does it have nuts in it? She mm-hmm. doesn't Because we don't have the EpiPen. Yeah. You should always have the EpiPen, people. If you're anaphylactic. If you're anaphylactic and you leave the house, <laughs> that's what it's public for. Public service announcement. Yes, public service <laughs> announcement. Okay, that we already said it. That's the service. <laughs> Just you... Bad parenting in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, basically you guys can see the writing on the wall. But here. again, right? Like, is it bad parenting for obvious reasons? Is it bad parenting with 
subliminal undertones as to why she's, you know what I mean? Like, there's you mean, a like, lot of... like, is there of, an insidious intention to, like, avoiding saying Honestly, I'm not even sure. Right? And so it's like, they go to the party, of course, she ends up eating some cake. Because this Because he wants to go um, try to hit on this girl. Mm-hmm. And throat starts to close up. She doesn't deal with it right away, which is also very juvenile of her, right? Where it's like, she's it's 13 years strange. old. It's like, you're not five. No. You're 13. Yeah. Okay, you can drive a car in three years. Yeah. You can drink in Europe in three years. You know, your throat's starting everything to close up. You, call, her, you, you know what I mean? It's weird. Everything about her doesn't say 13. It says about eight to me. Oh, eight yeah. or nine. Something like, like that. It's very immature. So, of course, she's starting to She's still playing with toys. And she's still got her, her drawing. Drawing book Like, she's stuff. definitely on the spectrum, and I feel like no one's recognizing it. Well, yeah, you know? which is ironic, too, because the dad's a doctor. They never say what kind of yeah. doctor, but he's a doctor of some kind. Yeah. But anyway. But... Of course, she's now suffocating. Peter rushes her out of the house because he's, it's a loud party, and I guess he's thinking calling an ambulance to the party is not the best idea, so jumps in the car. And this is like, this is a disturbing, this is the most disturbing scene in the whole movie, in my personal opinion. In my personal opinion, this is what disturbed me the you most. You missed some of the more disturbing I don't know, just... maybe it's because, like, I've got two younger sisters, and, like, that would be really, like, any okay. sibling okay. or family member, but it's, like, yeah. if you're just the panic and terror of that moment, like, your, your sister's suffocating to death in the backseat yeah. of the car, mm-hmm. and he's driving out of control, and I always forget, too, like, when we're watching movies and you see the, you know, the speedometer going up, 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 it's like, we live in Canada, so it's like, that's not kilometers, people. Not going, miles. like, 80 miles an hour. That's... Yeah a lot faster. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, of course she's freaking out, leans her head out the window of the she's car, trying, to get, trying air, to get some air, which is stupid and stupid, but whatever. Air's the same, man. Of course. Your throat's closing. You guys already know because you've watched the movie. Peter swerves to avoid a dead animal on the road, which seems almost placed Too on purpose. Perfect. Right. The placement with the, the roadside pole, like the light pole. Yeah. That, like that's anyways, but swerves to avoid the animal. And in a split second, there's he goes right past a telephone pole on the side of the road that smashes Charlie's head <laughs> and decapitates her instantly. Instantly. I have a question for everyone who's listening right now. Did you expect that at all? Because I thought that Charlie was going to be... Prominent the, character. <laughs> I, no, I thought that she was going to be the epicenter of all the horrible things that were going to happen in the movie. That's what I thought. Well, teed her up for that. You could argue she ads. still was. Well... But just the, the physical character wasn't. Like, she, her character was died off, but the spirit of her was definitely the central focus continuing on right well the, mom's trying the to grief contact over her, her yeah the brother's mm-hmm. afraid the only like, reason she's trying to contact her is because she's influenced by right. a friend joan that she picks up along the way joan, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> joan. joan with her stupid mats <laughs> yeah and I, and I remembered why i hate that lady and i'll tell you guys in a minute because right. i remembered it i remembered yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so Charlie is decapitated. Honestly, though, I think what follows after that is even more disturbing in the fact that you get this really long... This is this movie was really effective in the fact that it used pauses and silences very effectively. Oh, yeah. There's that long, drawn-out pause where all you see is darkness. It's the side of the road. You see the car from the side. And then... I don't even know how much time passes. It's got to be at least four seconds or so, like long. Okay, four seconds of real time, but I'm talking about in the scene, right? How much time passes for him sitting there. He never even looks in the back seat. Doesn't need to. Not once. (laughs) Like, he can hear the silence. He knows that it's not going to be good. And he literally, he is, this is another part where you get a very... Um, you get the theme of denial happening again because he doesn't even acknowledge it, right? He doesn't even look. He just slowly puts his foot on the accelerator and slowly you see the car drive away. It's like... And you don't even know, right? Because then it just like goes to the scene where he pulls up and it's like, hey, wait a second. Did he deal with the body? Did he go bury his sister in the desert? Like what just happened there? Like did he even go back for the head? Like what's going on? And then you just get the scene where he just goes to bed. It's a close-up shot of his face. And you just get, again, you get the first... You get the first moment where it's at, it's almost like a light switch where it goes night to day. Yeah. Oh, it is like a light switch. It's it literally. Is. It is. And that to me, again, speaks to the idea that the model home they're living in is like, there's, there's forces that work beyond that, right? Like they are the models living in it and they're right. being manipulated yeah. from without. But um, yeah, you just get that. And then you get the normal sounds of 
the get morning, ready for work or whatever. Yeah, and... the, the chitter-chatter, the, the hustle-bustle of getting their keys and everything, and then and then the horrific blood-curdling... Screams. Screaming. Screaming moans. Like, you know, like, it's not even, like... It's just, like, such a, just such a state of despair that it, it, it's... The seemingly unnatural. of a mother finding her decapitated daughter in the backseat of their car. Just, I mean, those are the sounds. You don't even see... <laughs> like, like, and you don't need... And it's more effective because you don't see Tony exactly. Collette, right? And all you see is his eyes, never wavering, never blinking, never changing. And so... And not even a tear. Not even a tear. But that's the part where you start to wonder. You're like, okay, what is going on with... Is, is there something that's already gotten to Peter that's insidious in nature? Or is it just like you said, like in the car? Catatonic is it just like, shock. basically, because like literally like, <laughs> I don't even know, like you can't, it's impossible to empathize with that situation without actually being in that situation, right? It's like, if you were in the driver's seat of that car in that scenario and you're not under the front, you're not, you know. He not, was stoned. He did take a toke. Yeah, but. But that's normal that, for him. It's not like that's his first time ever. Right. Anything. And it's like, do, would you. I don't know if I would look in the back seat. I don't even know. Like, I don't <laughs> no, even know. Like, say, like yeah. how would you, like, what would you, I mean, the, being in complete shock seems reasonable in that scenario. Yep. Like, to the point where you don't even know what to do or say. And you know what? I feel like from that moment on, Peter is that way for the entire rest of the movie. He's oh, yeah. in a state of catatomic shock that yeah. he never wakes up from. And even when you get to the very end scene, the, the final scenes of the movie, where he's like, all right, Peter, wake up, just wake up. Where he's yeah. like, he's finally, <laughs> finally kind of awakening. Trying you to snap I mean? out of, yeah. Yeah. I, but just that, yeah, it's so funny, right? You and I just literally turned to each other, like, at the exact same <laughs> moment when that scene was just like, laughing. like... Yeah, we did burst out laughing. <laughs> because it was like... How, did not expect that now. at all. Just like, <laughs> just turned around like, Jumanji's starting to look pretty good right now, isn't it, bud? Like, because <laughs> of course he's, yeah. Because there was just, Jumanji, there was but. no way. I'm honestly so friggin' happy that that part of the movie was never ruined for us before we watched it, which is why I hope everyone who's listening to this right now has already seen it because that was so brutal and yeah. so dislocating of all of your expectations to follow. Yeah. It's like, what? Now All what? of your expectations <laughs> and all of the head. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, very fast. So after this, we kind of get um, a bit of a, not a lull, I'm not going to say that, but like, it, it's, it's kind of like a, what seems to be about a few months have gone by kind of thing. And everyone has kind of not grieved properly i don't no. i would say everyone's just gone back into their shells seemingly yeah. and everyone's dealing with it separately never together you never see a moment of family bonding per se or no. anyone hugging to like help the grieving process along or or even like sharing stories or family photos you don't get any of that no none of it it's just charlie's just gone she's yeah. never coming back tony colette's angry upset right. all of above kind of thing but what you slowly start to be introduced to is the sound mm. and this is the sound that charlie would make when we as she was mm-hmm. drawing and painting and whatever and i think it's peter is the one who hears it first he does in his bedroom right yeah creepy <laughs> i mean not creepy in the sense that he ever feared his younger sister either but clearly they were all so distant mm-hmm. that now that she's passed on wherever she is or whatever his sense of like i guess the violent nature of the accident as well, might make him believe that I don't even know. Like, that she might there's come some for bad, vengeance. Like, there's some bad juju on him yeah. a little bit for him mm-hmm. him being irresponsible or something. You know what I mean? Like, or even the way that he didn't dealt with it or didn't deal with it right away. Or I don't even know. The way that literally his sister's head was left on the side of the highway for hours and hours and was devoured by fire ants. Mm. Like Appetizing. That's, yeah, that's mm. something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good times, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. I would say, like, the number one word to describe Peter's character is opaque. Yeah. And zombie-like. Like, he is basically a... He's a shell of his former self. Like, he's a shadow. Like, you see him in classrooms, hair greasy, a mess, like, his eyes vacant. Um, there's that one scene where he sees his shadow smile back... Or, sorry, his reflection smile back at him. Right. Um, and then, as well, he gets slowly sort of inducted into this sort of high strangeness that has kind of enveloped this entire family. Yeah. I mean, this movie, like you said at the beginning, like it goes from being, you don't know if it's going to be 
a haunting if it's like yeah a right. cult black magic or right. if it's just a straight like a, a, a demonic Super entity you know yeah. all those things are related but they're also used in individual movies you know what i mean like there's a movie about an exorcism there's a movie about a haunting there's a movie about right yeah this is mm-hmm. like kind of all coming together it's a little more ambiguous and and at that point right where they're all grieving over charlie and it becomes a lot of like a lot of the focus becomes on the family and their lack of togetherness their lack of any bonds whatsoever you get that one scene at the dinner table where it's just like they're all just shattered people yeah and even like yeah like peter's reaction to his mother's outburst is just in the same in the same framework right as his earlier responses where he's just like nothing he just is staring yeah he's just like doesn't even i don't even know like, he's, he's clearly just, devastated but at the same time it's can't like, even process any more of it like right and of course we <laughs> I, I can't remember actually if it was before or after this i think it was before when we get the story from annie about the reason why his her relationship with peter isn't very good Right. She so meets with Joan, right. She meets with Joan. So Joan singles her out. So this lady named Joan, she, they kind of meet through the the grief counseling thing and then she approaches Annie in, in her vehicle months later or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't say anything. I know you're probably thinking like, yeah, right, Andrew. But like, I didn't say anything. But it's the second that I saw that lady in that scene, you knew something was up. You knew, I knew it wasn't just a lady being nice, being like, how are you doing? And maybe it's just because I recognized her from the character <laughs> from The Handmaid's Tale. She's the total, she's the, she's yeah. the controlling total. Yeah. She's like a mother. What's her role? Like, I can't remember the name. Um, but anyway, she's yeah. like the master of the handmaids and she's just a bitch. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I could tell, I could tell. So mm. Joan approaches her and, and gives she's her so her number. She's so warm, right? Yeah, she's so, so open and yeah. so, and she one-ups her, right? In the scene with the car, right? right? Cause she, my son drowned. With my son drowned grandson. and my grandson. Yeah. So she's like, I know what you're experiencing times yeah. two. Yeah. So you better let me in essentially. And Annie, you can tell like when she walks away or drives away from that initial encounter, she's just like, whew, she kind of shakes her head. But then later on when she's working, she finds the slip of paper. Yeah. All of this feels... Okay. So that to me felt really intentional. It's almost like, was there some type of witchcraft that kind of like put that out there? Obviously it could be either way and it's just whatever ambiguous. But then again, also like we already mentioned with the animal carcass and that placement. And to me, I had this question recur several times watching it. And after like you, you answered it pretty well because I posed it to you, but I was like, where does it start? Like how much of this is actually just random how much of this is actually caused by this sort of nefarious force that's working without the family knowing yeah um and how much does that tie into the the, the title of the film hereditary like how long yeah. has this been going on exactly for? right <laughs> yeah so it's like so like so you know the grandmother's a part of this this cult obviously right mm-hmm. and then but the question has been her entire life exactly but the question that we're we're given over and over again by annie's facial expressions by her actions by her demeanor is how much about this do you know yeah do you do were you aware of this stuff happening exactly. and i think that's the point i was trying to make earlier with like the grief counseling thing it's like yeah my brother had schizophrenia and he claimed that my mother was trying to implant demons in him and he hung himself the way she said that was almost like she knew there was something more to yeah it. Yeah, no, and that's again where this theme of denial, right. where she's living in this, yeah, this perennial state, who knows how long it's gone on for. She alludes to it herself where she's like, I was talking to my mother, I wasn't talking to her. Like, it's almost as if she's not even clear of the timeline itself. Like, what if she was even to a certain extent um, not possessed by her mother, but just so heavily influences and so like. You can just, be in a trance without being possessed. I feel like almost a tra- like, like, like yeah. where you're, yeah, you're. Or she's just so deeply entrenched in it that sure, she's yeah. she's unconscious of how much of a part of it she is. Right. And then, of course, so she meets Joan, tells Joan about why her relationship with Peter is so awful, which is essentially she he has never been able to let go of this, her sleepwalking, mm-hmm. where there was this one event where with the paint thinner, yeah. right? That is messed up. Can you imagine that? How do you even get over that? Like, I don't blame him. Like, I don't blame him either. To I be mean, honest. like, you know, I would lock my bedroom door every night. Yeah, I honestly would. So you're doused in paint thinner. Both your, you and your sister and your mother. She's standing over you with a lit match, asleep. And her striking the match is the only thing that woke her up. So it's like, one, what is the dream you're having? Or two, what is controlling you mm-hmm. at that time? And how long have you been having those types of dreams, nightmares, or Trans- occurrences, like or whatever? Say, right? Exactly. 
And what is the point of that? Like, was that something that perhaps her mother was controlling? Or no? Or was this just, or was this just like a product of her sort of disillusionment and all this sort of like, I don't know, just mental illness that kind of just like coalesce and manifest out of this state of denial and out of this radical denial of who she is and yeah. who her family is, you right. know? Like, because you never get, obviously, you, it's all, like, they describe it as a matriarch. You never get strong male characters in this film. You don't get the, obviously, like, you don't get any of the grandfather. He's gone. He's years gone, gone by. Yeah. yeah. And then with the, the husband, he's very, um, he's quiet. He's not, he doesn't really, like, he's reserved take control. Sure. Yeah. He doesn't really, he just lets his, everyone do their thing, and he's kind of in his own little world himself, just like everyone else. It's like, everyone's living in their own little miniature model home. Yeah. That is their head. Right. It's their mind. And then the, the place they inhabit in the house, like, they don't even, it is a house. It's not a home. Right. It's a model house yeah. kind of thing. Just it's, like the one it's a, she it's makes. A, it's an illusion. Exactly. Essentially. Yeah. I guess another way of thinking about her and her model making too, as a metaphor for the film is not just like, we're watching it like a play where it's open and not a, not a home, but a house and all those things, but also the idea that they're being watched. Like it's a half a dollhouse mm-hmm. and it's like, sure, it's like a play, it's wide open, mm-hmm. but it's like what demonic things are watching them totally. on display just for those things, waiting for the right moment to take the sun or take whatever mm-hmm. they want because the grandmothers kept tabs on it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So we've kind of come up to like, I think we've covered a lot of the main sort of plot devices, a lot of the main scenes except or climax. Yeah, and this whole idea of the eight kings of hell, which is yes. bizarre. It is bizarre. Before we even get into that, though. Okay, sure. like, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> kind of saving that for the last. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, so essentially what we get now... Okay, let's just review here. So we've got Annie and Joan communicating. Yeah, right. We've got Joan. There's very... Again, right, a lot of um, coincidences, a lot of, um, like, seemingly coincidences, but not really... Where there's the scene where Annie goes to get more supplies, right? To make more miniatures. She's still working on her models. She runs into Joan in the parking lot. Joan seemingly doesn't see her. It's Annie that has to approach her. Mm. As soon as Annie makes the first point of contact, Joan is, oh my gosh, she's so warm again. She's so, oh, Annie, like I've I've had like a miracle. Essentially, she's a changed woman, all this stuff. And then that's when you kind of get inducted into this whole idea that they can bring her back. I'm Charlie. I mean, or they don't least, even. They don't even. Oh, exactly. Not bring her back, but yeah, communicate with her right. from the other side. It's interesting though. They think about that in regards to Charlie. Never in regards to the grandmother. No one wants to bring her back. <laughs> yeah. But I you know, like untimely death, timely death. Who knows? But anyways. So yeah. So essentially, you get that, and then you get this scene right where Annie goes back to Joan's house. <sighs> And she has a very violently negative reaction to the seance before her, which again makes me think that they're actually alluding to past occurrences where she's been um, exposed to this kind of thing and then radically rejected it or denied it. That would be, yeah, yeah. And so when she gets this, like, it's almost like an overwhelming, like, I don't even know, like, she has a very, just a brilliant job acting. She's so great. She's a great actress. But in that scene in particular, I found very telling, right? Because she should be jumping for joy. There's like, there's this um, seven-year-old spirit supposedly writing, I love you, grandma, on a thing. So it's like, wouldn't she be like, hell yeah, like I can, you know, finally reach out to my daughter and whatever else and like actually have more of a positive reaction? Maybe a part of her fear was that being in that situation and having her hair brushed and seeing this actual paranormal stuff was like, (laughs) <laughs> was freaking her out because she was aware of the evils that her mother was mm. a part of. And seeing this on that level was just a very current, like, justification that it's real and not just the good stuff, but mm. the really stuff you don't want to be Oh, a part that's of. very, that's a good point, actually. Do you know what I mean? Like, she, that would be, that's, because, like, that's the freaky part to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, if you see Casper the ghost, great, sweet. What about all the other ones? <laughs> yeah. Once you open that door, can you really close it? 
And so that's where she kind of basically is, is rushes out of there, but not before Joni stuffs in her hand that piece of paper, right, with the instructions. Oh, and she makes the comment. She's like, I don't know what it says. They just told me how to say it. You yeah. just have to say it. Yeah, exactly. If anybody hands you anything in a language you don't understand... Tells you to recite it. Translate it first. Especially if it's Latin. Yeah. Or like ancient Arabic or something. Or like, you know what I mean? Like anything. Anything. Ancient Hebrew. Give it a a minute. Look into it. Okay. And so it's very interesting again because we are not privy to Annie experimenting with this on her own. All we see is her very excitedly running up to her son's room where she awakens him quite suddenly right and he's in the middle of i think he's having a, a strange dream i can't remember exactly i can't remember if that was the part where he's getting his head pulled oh was no that no part? that was a different part okay. that comes later on she's always in and out of his room though freaking him out yeah the whole movie yeah exactly so he's never really sure when she's entered what she's doing all this stuff talk about no privacy Oof, yeah, I know, right? But essentially she comes, she's like saying like, I, I, I feel so horrible. I can't believe the things I said. You need to forgive me right away, blah, blah, blah. Come down, we've got to do this. And then and then you get this whole like, yeah, very, again, very disturbing scene where it's like he reacts super negatively too, right? He he almost, he just starts having a panic attack as soon as activity starts taking place. He starts crying. Exactly. He says, can't you feel that? Can't you feel the air? Like, what do you flexing. say? Flexing. Flexing. Can't you hear the air flexing? What yeah, or feel even, it flexing. What does that even feel like? I don't know, but I don't want to know. I don't and then, really want and then meanwhile, the dad is completely like, what? <laughs> he's just like, I'm just here and I don't believe any of this and I don't understand what's going on. And he's just like, I feel so sorry for this chat, man. Like, he should have got out of there ages ago. Yeah. What's he doing? Here's the other interesting thing about that scene, too, that brought up some questions for me. So we have the moment where the candle flares up, and then all of a sudden, the uh, the voice of Charlie is in Annie, mm. right? Which is... Would well, be... he checks, right? He goes under the table to look to see what the trick is. Right, and of course there's And no then trick. he comes up slowly as she's, like, moaning, she's like, like yeah. and it's Annie. And it's like... Or this, it's like... Annie, and it's Charlie, right? Yeah. That would be so terrifying to hear that voice. Like, mm-hmm. it's exactly your daughter's voice, deceased daughter's voice, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But what was so Panicked disturbing about too. it is that she's panicked. And the question that, the interesting thing about that is that you're sort of given, you know, like the scene earlier on when Charlie, before she's dead and she snips the head off the bird and there's like weird things about right. her. And there's clearly an indication that she is involved in some of this demonic stuff that her grandmother had yeah. passed along, hereditary, mm-hmm. right? But is she in hell? But also, she's... well, but, but here's the other thing in that scene, she's, she's saying like, why is everyone afraid? Like, what's wrong? Like mom, mom, like what's wrong? And it's, it's the little girl. It's not the weird blend of a girl and a demon or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like in her deceased form now, it's like, there is the real Charlie, Charlie. Mm-hmm. but her physical form on earth was this constant fighting back and forth of a demonic entity and the fact that she had a female form, Mm. which comes into play at the end. It does because they say that outright, right? Like I didn't really know how to interpret that right off the bat when they are in the final scene where, um, uh, where, what's his name? Peter. Peter. He ascends into the tree house thing. And, and then you get this ceremony taking place. It's a ritual. We skip into that. We skip right. Well, no, no, no. I just wanted to comment on the idea that, um, that he, is the corrected form. They say right. that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They say that right. we have corrected your feminine form. Right. You've shed your first body, so to speak. It's almost mm-hmm. like a death and rebirth. Like, mm-hmm. is the death rebirth, is that Charlie's death? Was that, did that have that's, to happen? I, that's my, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Right. what I'm saying here. Okay. So that to me makes the accident intentional. Right. Makes everything intentional. Like right? not intentional on Peter's part. No, no, but just intentional, intentional in general. Intentional as like this is how the fates have decided. Like, the, but we like are the fates deciding. They placed that animal in the middle of the road, and made him swerve. Exactly right. And then all obviously the, the other thing about that and the fact that it might be intentional is the decapitation, because yeah. we find Annie in one of the very last scenes before before Peter ascends into the treehouse and stuff, where she goes up to the attic, and there is a decapitated body up there with right. with the symbol. Of this cult that her mother's been wearing on her neck all yeah. these years. And you never bothered to Google it. No. 
smeared in blood on the ceiling. So then she rushes to the box and, and reveals, like, you know, like, there's this whole um, demonology and this whole, like, book of scripture and, yeah. like, basically a spell book. Yeah. Like a grimoire. And I love it, too. It's, like, it's literally, like, the first book, like, on the top of the box. It's, like, you never... You never. <laughs> that wasn't the first book. There was the photos on the first and oh, then I'm after. So, oh, sorry. So like, hard to find. Right below like, the surface. You never, you never noticed that? actually really great, though. If you think about the analogy of that, it was just below the surface. Right. All you had to do was open the box. <laughs> it's like Pandora's box. There you go. Well, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, seriously. Mm. So she finds her, what she believes to be her mother, which it clearly is, yeah. with decapitated. Mm-hmm. Right? And then, of course, she earlier, doesn't have the knowledge that the grave has been desecrated. It's only the husband that has that knowledge. Until. <laughs> well, actually, that's not entirely true. You, He doesn't tell her right away earlier on, but you're never given the part where he does. So you're not really sure if he does or he, doesn't. He tell never her. does. He doesn't. I don't think he does. I think he tries to save her because he saved her from that, right? That That's a disturbing fact that your mother's grave was desiccated in, like, less than a week. And so when right. Tessa's like, oh, it's just annoying, like, uh, billing or whatever. Yeah, I know, but that was a week after the funeral. And then the body being in the attic, that's months late. Like, that's after Charlie's death. Anyway, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Anyway, but he does make that comment. He's like, it was you, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And of course, we don't know. And that's where you get another part of, like, the disintegration of family bonds, right? Where they do not trust each other at all. No. As soon as push comes to shove, they're like, I'm in my own corner. And, um, uh, yeah, like, screw all you. Of, of course. And and there's, there's and other he's points. he's instantly not believing any of her narrative. Yeah, totally. None of it. None of it. It's all too little, too late for him. Yeah. Even if, and he, I, I feel like his response, again, very similar to his son's, right? Where he's just basically standing there, very, like... He's not, he's not fighting with her. He's not arguing back. He's not doing anything. He's not He's responding. trying to gauge if, like, the woman he married and had children with, like, is still that same person. Exactly. There's so much doubt. And we don't know if it was her or not that mm-hmm. dug up her mother's grave. Yeah. Right? We don't know. We're, we keep giving, we're giving all these signs that we're like, she's clearly unstable, but it's like, mm-hmm. is she aware? Mm-hmm. Was it sleepwalking? Did you sleepwalk oh, all the God. way and dig I up know, your mom's right? grave? That's the, that's the too where it's like yeah like is that legit sleepwalking or is that something else like some sort of like curse or spell put on her or something you know when you're about to burn your kids with paint thinner i think it's probably more than sleepwalking yeah i'd say so it's a little bit of sinister darkness so of course we get the majority of the gnarliness of this film at the end barring the car accident yeah okay so Um, there's a lot of disturbing visuals it's pretty epic the scene where the husband is burned alive is pretty like a little shish kebab yeah that that was very interesting um because again right like what did she expect that was a weird part too because it's almost as if that fire you know how she tries to burn the book initially and then it starts burning her sweater so she puts it up how did you expect that to go down i think (laughs) think she thought that she was the one i mean this is me speculating. But then she goes and throws it in anyway for him, and then he ends up burning. And so then her face weird. is like, oh, that was a bad idea. It was <laughs> like, it, it's, it's a bit of shock and a bit of, like, stunned, but then it changes at the very last she goes second. Like, she goes like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and she keeps... It's almost like a determined, like, okay, it's been done. Yeah, she switches back and forth from this, like, possessed to not possessed. <sighs> And then what happens after that? Oh my gosh. We forgot to talk about um, the scene at school where he ends up smashing his face into the desk. Yeah. The well, you, you mentioned the face, like him, the him smiling. Looking at the so that's disturbing too. So he's sitting at his desk, looks to the left, and it's his reflection, but just with this menacing grin. Exactly. And there's something. So that's early on in the movie. There's something about your own face looking at you differently too. That's more disturbing than like... Where you don't own like, that reflection? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is more disturbing than looking to the left and being the only person to see like, a, you know, a, a deformed, monstrous face. Totally. You know? And it's very telling of like an interiority that isn't accessible by him. You know what I mean? Where right. it's like there's another side that you're just... That's there. But you're just... You have no access. You're just kind of... <sighs> You're just, uh, yeah, doing your thing, you know, uh, completely unaware of a completely different side. See, or this potential. is why being aloof is always the best. Yeah. Just be aloof. Leslie Nielsen. Well, that works in some degrees. But well, it wouldn't, work in this, it wouldn't work for him in this scenario. <laughs> so then at school, obviously, you get the follow-up to that scene later on in the movie where essentially he is, like, seemingly possessed. Like, he's, like, almost, it looks like he's hanging himself because he's got his hand raised high above his head. His, his head is tilted to the opposite side and it's like his face is being pulled up 
And it almost looks like it's this uncomfortable, like, strangulation type thing going on. Yeah. And then he just repeatedly slams his head into the desk. And so he ends up going home, of course, um, passes nose. out, broken nose. His dad gets killed in the meantime. And then he awakens. <sighs> I think that was one of the most terrifying parts of the movie, too, is when he comes down from his bedroom and sees his dad. Doesn't even react, really. He's just kind of in shock again, I guess. He's just, he's I'm, not I'm sure past the point. what it is. Yeah, he's past the point of any sort of normal reaction at all. But then you see Tony Collette above him in the corner of the roof in the room in the living room and that to me like scared the friggin shit out of me just levitated up and then and then and he hears something and then he starts running and then she just freaking books it after him and she's wearing that like long flowy um outfit that's very just like she looks like a mental patient yeah. <laughs> escaped the asylum and is like completely unhinged. Well, you make that comment about the hair too. And oh, how, yeah. Like in these movies, her symbol of undoing the, uh, is her hair. Yeah. yeah, the crazier it gets. Yeah, yeah. and that goes with it's just same a common thing as, trope. Same but... thing as the witch. You made that comment about the mother. What was the mother's name in the witch again? Can't remember. Oh lord, I can't remember. Um, but... but actually, very similar. A lot of similar tropes in this film to the witch, not just the you know the demon, the connections to hell and and occult magic and mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, but just like the family, the distantness of all the family, right? The the slow undoing of the mother into this spiral of madness. The, the choosing of the most vulnerable person in the household to become the yeah. monstrous. Yeah, yeah. It, it just happens to be the son instead of the. The daughter in this case. Yeah, totally. Um, very interesting. The very like final scene where it's him wearing the crown. That again is like a parallel to the witch for me, where she it's the close up on the face of the profile on her profile, and right. it's just her becoming who she always was, yeah. kind of, or is accepting it, kind of thing. Right. So yeah. we've got that scene. So so Peter gets chased away, and this is like the darkest part, honestly. Other than yeah, the- so he runs up to the attic slams it andrew you missed it because you're making the pizza not the attic part you yeah you missed her slamming her head repeatedly oh, the, into in the, the yeah, attic door because the... she's like levitating on the ceiling of the second floor oh i did miss smashing her head repeatedly into the attic door okay and well. he's just like mommy mommy like no like uh oh, i came back for that back. Yeah. yeah but you didn't see her literally like pretty disturbing smashing eh? her head over and over again like the speed and then right. and then literally seconds after that she's levitating at the top of the attic sawing her so own head off so these are the off. paranormal things so she's down below the attic and next thing you you know, he turns around and she's like, literally up there looking down at him out exactly. of the corner of her eye, clearly not in control of her body. No. Whilst sawing off her own head. And even then, before that, right, before he even goes down to see his father's body, you get him rising out of bed and then behind him you see Tony Collette Annie walking across the air, like across the ceiling, seemingly. Like just gravity doesn't apply to her anymore. It's just like this weird, like she's right. I don't even know. Like that was freaky to me yeah, too. It's, All of it's given me shivers right now like and then of course we see this guy with a sinister grin again (laughs) so peter turns and in the attic there's these three naked people Mm -hmm. that are clearly just some sort of a hallucination as a part of this whatever's going on and one of them was the guy from the funeral with that same look on his face I didn't recognize Joan as one of them, but maybe she was. She wasn't in the attic. She was in the treehouse. Okay, so she's already in the treehouse. And then, of course, we have this. So he freaks out and he dives through the window of their third story. Falls down, smashes Mm -hmm. (laughs) smashes on the ground. Yeah. And then that's the point where we kind of realize that the spirit that was occupying Charlie... Charlie was only half Charlie. You think, hey, I that's think. weird. Because then you get this blue light, that blue light that you see throughout the film. Yeah. Where he sees it in the classroom before his reflection in the, in the, in mm-hmm. the glass and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it plops Many into times. his back. Yeah. And then that's when he gets up. And you're still not quite sure, is this Peter? Is he going to run away? What? He gets up. It's the evil. He voice. sees the light from the treehouse. He climbs up into this absolutely bizarre scene of worship. Mm-hmm. Very much like... Well, not not exactly, but very much like the ritual where you've got that creepy mm. worship room in that yeah, movie. Yeah, everyone's bowing down. And uh, and Joan's there, and there's a whole bunch of other people there that were prepared for the sacrifice. Like she had been teeing up this family for a while, <laughs> obviously, right? Yeah. And the one the one the part that was really strange was like this idol thing at the beginning looked like Jesus. Yeah. Like it did. It was like a guy with a beard. 
little goatee. It had kind of the the spiky crown thing going on. Sorry, are you talking about the idol at the front of the room yeah. in the treehouse? Yes. That's that's Tony Collette's head. Okay. That's Tony Collette's head. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it they is. made it look like it was like. Yeah, it's very Jesus. It made it look yeah. like it was like you on get the, the cross, thor- right? The, the, the crown thorns, of thorns and like yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was Tony Collette's head. It was. She's <laughs> the literally world's just... worst eHarmony okay. profile picture. You know how you can interpret that? She sacrificed herself. That's what you need, right? In order to summon the king Paimon, one of the it's like the second king of the demons or whatever in this book of demonology. Mm-hmm. You need a sacrifice. So I'm thinking she was sacrificing herself, sawing off her own head while she's suspended in the rafters of their attic. Yeah. The entire time she's staring at her son. She's like with her eyes down like this. And, mm-hmm. and you made the comment, you're like, is that the horror of her knowing that she's doing this, but she can't control any of what her body's doing? Yeah. I and so, so essentially that's what happens. Okay. So as she's sawing off her head still, that's when he looks over, sees the naked people in the corner is scared shitless, I guess. He's still trying to, like, wake himself up, slapping himself, saying, like, wake up, Peter, like, wake up. And then he's, yeah, he falls to the ground. You see a shadow go over top of him before the light right. descends into his chest. And that's Tony Collette's body floating levitating. up. Levitating. Into, yeah, levitating. And I would assume shortly before that, you actually hear the thud of her head drop. So I'm assuming they picked it up or it levitated itself over and placed itself on the thing. Again, though, you get all these transitions where it's like he's laying in the flower beds. You're not sure how much time has passed. Seconds? Minutes? Yeah. And a half an hour? I don't know. Well, minutes, presumably. Minutes, you would... Yeah, presumably. But at the same time, you get the three characters that were in the attic in um, standing guard, like sentry, as he's kind of walking towards it's almost like a ceremonial walk towards the yeah. treehouse yeah and then that's where he's like sort of inducted as this king paimon which was which is just an aspect of the film that we didn't expect and it was kind of no. neat and it's like <laughs> I, I, didn't, I don't know if i want to call it like the folkloric aspects of hell but it kind of is in a sense well it is this, this book right the idea they that are there's kings drawing of hell. exactly they're drawing from this 17th century collection of anonymous texts that are commonly known as like the Lesser Keys of Solomon. This is literally just like a quick, like, brief. What would you call it? Um, it's a, synopsis? No, it's not a synopsis. Oh, sorry, it's the a, book. It's a oh, cursory it's, glance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cursory but, indeed. Exactly. But it's, um, essentially, it's been divided into five books, one of which is this Ars Goetia. I'm not saying that right. Sorry, guys. Um, but essentially, yeah, it describes these eight kings of hell. And these texts are kind of described as grimoires or spell books. They're not encyclopedias. They're meant to be used by a practitioner. Right. And you can buy them on Amazon. You can buy them on Amazon. And um, it's interesting because, like I said, these are anonymous texts. So you're not really sure where they're derived from. But a lot of people contribute or attribute them to this um, Johann Wenner's Pseudomonarchia Deamonum, which is yeah. just the false monarchy of demons. Right. So that's kind of interesting. It's a false god. It's a false deity that these people are worshipping, right? Mm. And so digging into what Paimon actually represents is that he he's interesting. He's got, he's powerful, man. He's got 200 legions of demons under his rule. He's definitely very obedient to Lucifer, apparently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Has a great voice and roars as soon as he comes, which is interesting, right? Because uh, Peter doesn't embody any of that. Right. Well, this is the human form, though, so it's totally. like, okay, right, well. Exactly. And so it says here, it's interesting, it says, when a conjurer evokes, invokes this demon, he must look towards the northwest, like they said in the movie, right? Which is the direction of Payman's house. And when Payman appears, he must be allowed to ask the conjurer what he wishes and be answered in order to obtain the same from him. Mm. But it's weird because he's almost like this giver of esoteric knowledge forms, described as teaching all arts, philosophy, science, secret things, unraveling the mysteries of the earth, um, all this kind of stuff. That and makes then, hell sound kind of like jail. You get free education. <laughs> <laughs> but this is interesting. The second point here, it says, if Payman is cited alone... Some offering or sacrifice must be done, and he will accept it. Right. So is is his mother the sacrifice? Is she? Did was she Charlie himself? the was Charlie and slash sacrifice? But they do say that they've corrected his effeminate form. Like that's what Joan says in the right. ceremony. And I had this question while we were driving earlier today, and I was like, okay, sure, okay, corrected the effeminate form. Now you got your male form. Great, <laughs> sounds good. Payment, cool beans. 
how long how long are you going to be up there for, bro? Like you're the king of you're one of the kings of hell. Is this just like a vacation? You're just up here like occupying a human body for a little bit, and then you go back down, command your two hundred legions. Like this is just like a part time thing. It doesn't make I'm sense. I'm not sure. Like why? That's the thing that bugs me about this movie is that we don't see what goes on after this scene. We're not sure. Like, is he inheriting literally a throne where they're gonna worship him his entire life? Is he gonna be in for some bad news bears when uh, they're done this ritual? Like, or what's gonna happen to this guy? Is he gonna literally become Charlie? Like Charlie 2.0, where it's like. Well, he's not going to school the next day, presumably, right? Like, that's what you're asking. It's like, where does he go? What does, how does this unfold from here? He's in a human body that still has to live and die. Carbon-based. Yeah. So, if you're occupied by this king of hell now, Mm -hmm. then, like, is it just for, like, like, that's my question. Is it just for a little while? These people worship you and then they get a new one or something, or... That's a question. There's lots of questions left. If anyone listening is a part of a black magic demon cult, let us know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's the turnover rate? What's of the your turnover? Thoughts? Yeah. What's the, <laughs> you posted on Indeed. I don't know. Like, <laughs> we should but, post that on Indeed. Just like see the ad. Be like, <laughs> human host for payment, demon god, <laughs> full benefits package. <laughs> Okay, I have a question for you about this movie. Oh, okay. Throw it in there. <laughs> oh, oh, you're not ready oh, for no, it. Oh, no, I don't know. Um, before we wrap up, I'm just curious. Like, That's the one thing I always think about watching horror movies is always like, okay, if I was in any of these situations myself, it'd be like, what, what's my course of action here? Out of the three sort of horror, thriller, paranormal, scary movies we've covered so far <laughs> on Film Friday, which scenario would you, if you had to pick one, which scenario would you most like to be in? Oh, God. Um, hmm. I have my answer already. I think I'd probably go with the ritual. Oh, hands down. Yeah. Oh, hands because down. Because that is something that isn't specific to that group. It's not as if they're singled out destined for this. They're just there. And they have all the means of modern technology they have all the wits about him. If he just hadn't gone into the goddamn woods. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're if you're stalked by a demon, you can't really. It's a little more. Well, you mean like with with this film here? Where well, it's like I, the... yeah. When you're dealing with like the stuff in the witch and in the, and in Hereditary, it's like a little more extreme. It is, and it's like it's it's so much more ambiguous though too. Right. You can't just run away from a monster. You can't. No. And exactly that. Like it's not your your yourself is compromised. That's the scariest right. part about this to me is the fact that there are these sort of like it's almost like you could you could um take the model house analogy and apply it to each character and say that there are a lot of rooms that they don't go into. There's a lot of things they don't explore. Doesn't mean that it's not there and with them. Right. But and inevitably with them, it's not something they can shed. You know what I mean? Like, with this, with the ritual, it was just, yeah, exactly that. It was just some crazy-ass, like, cult they just stumbled across, and they're just like, okay, you know what? I guess we're all dead. <laughs> but, you know, like, that that was more avoidable. Yeah, no, for sure. So you would, you're the same answer? Uh, same answer, hands down. Because at least, <laughs> at least you got, at least you got some buds with you. You got, yeah, like, you, you know mm-hmm. what you're up against. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what you're up against, but they figure it out. It's like, okay, we don't know what it is, but it's like, it's massive, it's a monster, time to run away. Yeah. Whereas with this stuff, it's a little bit more like, you're kind there of, even no, if you do run away, it's... There's no monster, there's no tangible you know, object to fear. No. Because we make, I made that comment too earlier on, and we always do, it's like, with the husband, it's like, bro, you, you couldn't see the writing on the wall with your mother-in-law in the house here, dude? Mm-hmm. Like... Head on down to Cancun and send the divorce papers from yeah, there. No like, kidding. what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you? <laughs> Obviously, it runs in the family. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Like, what? It... <laughs> this is not a good scene. No. You can do better, I think. Yeah. Anyway, that's our take on Hereditary. It is. Yeah. So we want to know what you guys think. We're going to be opening this up for discussion all this week. And uh, yeah, get at us. Yeah, let us know what you think. Um, you can always email us into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, um, anywhere else. We, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely curious to see what you guys have to think about this one. Yeah. Um, be warned before you watch it if you oh, haven't, gosh. because yeah. I know there's some people that do have listened to the first two without watching the movies, but they don't really care. They just wanted to, and mm-hmm. then they watched it after and still enjoyed it. This Just really, be warned a little bit. This, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I feel like this conversation could have definitely ruined it if you haven't seen the movie. So I would highly recommend, even though it's too late now because you already listened. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> it's definitely one of those ones I would recommend, but it's like you wouldn't watch it over and over. Like The Ritual, I feel like I could watch a third, fourth time. Just so all our listeners are aware, we only watched this movie once and yeah. we only watched it last night. And it's I'm fresh. glad <laughs> it, yeah, it was fresh, but I'm glad we had the night to let it sink in. I had a bit of nightmares last night. I I literally, it started off all completely normal in my dream. We're in our little loft. We're doing our thing. And then out of nowhere, my body froze. And my, it was almost like the classic um, position of like a figure skater when they start to do that, the low spin where they have their leg out. It was like I had my leg extended out and then I just started spinning in a circle like really fast and I couldn't control what my body was doing. I don't like that. It was really freaky, That's and then no I woke good. up, and I was like, and then I started thinking about the movie, and all the the, the most disturbing <laughs> images started popping in my head, and I was like, this is, Great. This is, this is really bad. <laughs> this is not good. But I made it through the night. She so. made it. She made it. <laughs> now, next week... Um, we're covering a movie that's been out for a lot longer. So if you haven't already seen it, go watch Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. One of our absolute favorites. It's been suggested by a bunch of people. That's what we're covering next and week. And just, I would recommend watching the extended cut or director's cut. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yes. So go check that out. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this third Film Friday yes. review. And until this Sunday, mm-hmm. we'll see you guys then.